1: Today's episode of the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast is powered by FinClub and their artificially intelligent stock picks. With nearly 90% accuracy for the first half of the year, you'd be crazy not to try FinClub stock picks while you can. I mean, before they get bought out by one of the big Wall Street banks because their technology really is that good. So head on over to TryFinClub.com to get nearly $1,500 in bonuses just for starting your free two-week trial. So join the club, the Fin Club, to get nearly $1,500 in bonuses just for starting your free two-week trial at TryFinClub.com. That's TryFinClub.com. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest, Mark Guthner, CFA. He's a professional of financial practice at Rutgers University. Hey, Mark, thanks for so much for coming online today. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance by Redwood Media Group, founder and head trader of 10 stocktrader.com, Christopher Ewell. Uh, Happy to be here. It's a a pleasure. Yeah, I I really appreciate it. Mark and I, uh, we have a little bit of a history. Um, We connected through a a, a colleague, um, Mike Coe, who is on uh, CNBC on Options Action. And uh, Mark actually runs the website, um, theoptionsedge.com. And it was really cool. I reached out to Mark and I said, hey, Mark, would you mind coming on the program today? And he he graciously did. So let me give you a little, little background on Mark. Mark is a veteran of the financial services industry. His skills and experience stretch across multiple disciplines, including trading, portfolio and risk management, securities analysis and valuation, investment banking and financial technology as well. He has served as a principal portfolio manager, proprietary trader and equity derivative strategist at Bank of America Securities, CRT Capital and Dash Financial LLC. And finally, he's a professor of financial practice at Rutgers University, where he teaches portfolio theory, investment analytics, and financial modeling. Man, that was a mouthful. I was really stumbling over myself. <laughs>
2: yeah, I do a number of different things. It keeps me busy.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. So so I reached out to Mark, and I said, Hey, Mark, would you mind coming on the podcast today to share you know, some of, of your expertise, some of your history with the audience out there? And he's like, Sure, what do you want me to talk about? And the first thing he suggested was, Uh, when to sell an option versus when to buy an option. And I said, you know what? This is how to trade stocks and options. I couldn't think of a better topic for the podcast. So, Mark, uh, the floor is yours.
2: Okay, so um, I'll discuss without slides uh, a presentation I often give uh, at various venues such as the Money Show. But uh, I've done a fair amount of research, and I've um, shown that if you look at index options, and compare them to the risk adjusted basis relative to the underlying index, let's say the S&P 500 or IWM, which is the um, ETF on small cap stocks, we find that um, options, especially those that are out of the money and short in uh, duration, uh, tend to underperform the market um, when you adjust for the fact that, when you adjust for beta. So, That got us to thinking when, you know, um, what should one do when they uh, think about uh, managing their option portfolio? So we took a look across a whole slew of options in and out of the money, uh, one month out to a year and a half. And we found that if you're going to be a buyer of options, you're best off buying long dated options um, and ones that are in the money. If you're going to be a seller of options, uh, you should tend to be a um, seller of shorter dated options and out of the money options. Um, and we go through this um, uh, some of this research in our book called *The Options Edge*, um, which uh, Mike and I wrote um, and came out. I want to say about two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago now. So um, what that got us thinking about is is. Uh, um, If you've made the decision to buy an option or sell an option, what are the best options to trade? But then you've got to ask yourself another question um, when you want to buy or sell a stock is how quickly do you think something might happen and how convicted are you in your idea that the stock is going to either go up or down? And uh, from that standpoint, uh, if you think the stock, let's say, is going to go up, but it's going to kind of move up and fits and starts and kind of choppy um then you want to be a seller of option of put options for example so the stock will drift up you've sold a put option and if the trade works properly the option expires worthless Um, and if the stock really hasn't moved very much maybe you want to write another options Um, if on the other hand you want to play for an event something that you think is going to happen with the stock and happen in a relatively um, short period of time, then you want to be a buyer of options. So let's say you, you, you've got a strong opinion on earnings of a company um, and you think they're going to be good. So then you would want to be a buyer of a call option or a call spread uh, in, under those uh, circumstances because, as you know, options are an asset that decay with time. So you have an, a super challenge. It's hard enough to pick stocks and pick stocks that go up and find stocks that go down and short them if you're a, if you're a long, short sort of uh, investor. Um, if, uh, so that you've got that, that challenge. But when you add options to the equation, you've got to get both time and direction right. And uh, so that's what makes it tough. Um, and what we do a lot on our website, theoptionsedge.com, uh, when we talk about investment ideas, that's sort of the core fo- underlying philosophy we use when, when we give trade suggestions to uh, to folks who might want to, um, you know, trade individual ideas. So if you're convicted and you think something's going to happen fast, be a buyer of options. If you just have a feeling something's going to move in a direction, uh, you want to be a seller of the appropriate options.
1: hmm That makes sense. And interestingly enough, um, you are the second guest in a row who's mentioned uh, buying options in the money to go long, uh, like a high delta option, like a a 70, 80, 90 uh, option there. I've I've commonly referred to that as the uh, stock replacement strategy. Right. Is that – is that something like versus a stock? Obviously, you're getting a lot more bang for the buck in that case, right? You're getting hundred share lots for pennies on the dollar um, versus if you were to go long the stock outright, what would some of the advantages be uh, from your perspective on doing the stock replacement strategy, the, the deep in the money long call versus buying the stock outright?
2: Okay, so let, let's talk about uh, a bullet strategy. So we're mm-hmm. going to buy a call option that's deep in the money. Um, or fairly deep any money. So let's say you've got a delta of about 0.8. Um, then um, what happens if if you're right and you buy that option, the stock, the, the option is going to behave an awful lot like the stock. The, um, it's almost going to go up one to one and delta is telling you it's going to go up 0.8. But as the stock rises, the delta increases. So it'll go to 0.85, 0.9. So it's going to be continuing to, to drift higher and, it's, and the option is going to behave just like the underlying stock. If on the other hand, um, uh, you're wrong and the stock starts to fall away, then uh, the delta of the option falls. And so you're gonna lose less money than if uh, you buy the stock outright. So um, you get a little, um, uh, uh, that's the option traders like to call this gamma, where if it goes in your direction, you're getting more of what you want. And if it goes against you, uh, you're getting less of, of of what you what you don't want so
1: oh that was interesting okay yeah look research more about that
2: yeah and the other thing that that um, is an advantage when you deal with uh, options that are in the money is they don't have very much time value so they don't tend to decay in time in value as you sit there waiting for your event or, or waiting for something to happen. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why they tend to outperform. And this is really kind of the opposite way most people trade them because people will say, oh, I want to buy a cheap option that cost a dollar. They don't want to buy one that costs 7 8 or $9. Right. They, they see that as expensive. And the way Mike and I look at options is we think about uh, uh, option decay as the cost of an option, not the dollars that you put up front. Uh, the, the real cost is you bought the option Stock sits there, dead as a doornail, and you see your, your options sort of whittle away and, mm-hmm. as time goes. And so if you have that as an underlying thought process, then you're a little bit more indifferent about whether or not you want to be in the money or, or out of money. Um, but uh, what, I did, what we do show, again, with our statistic, statistical work is that um, you're, you're more likely to um, underperform if you buy out-of-the-money short-dated options, which on a dollar price are really cheap. So, uh, you know, one of the things I've talked about with my colleagues at the university, and um, one of the things they like to call them is is, um, lottery tickets. So it might make sense to buy an option for 50 cents, but it really is a lottery ticket because if it works in your direction, that 50 cents might go to $5. But more likely than not, it's going to end up in the garbage bin um, at the 7-Eleven.
1: Right. Yeah, so you want to be the lottery commission selling those lottery tickets. You don't want to be the guys out there buying them,
2: right? That's right. So um, you know, and, and we've shown that um, that that that's uh, a better strategy over the long term, it's particularly with index options. That's um, it's a harder it's a harder situation with individual stocks because there's so much event risk with mm-hmm. stocks. So um, uh, what we tend to like to do is. Um, when we find really cheap stocks, accumulate them by selling some out-of-the-money puts, stock falls a little bit, we end up buying the stock at a bit of a discount to the market price, um, and then we look for the uh, the share price then to, to take off and move higher. Now, if it turns out we're just a little early, why we, we uh, sell that put option, it um, expires worthless, and we do make a few bucks. So, um, you know, that's one of the other ways we think about uh, stepping into uh, a bullish situation
1: sure so okay i have a couple of questions first question i have is on when you say longer term duration yeah what would you what would you quantify as long term
2: well and and I, that's that's stepping back to my because i also have foot in the fixed income markets where i spent a lot of money let's call it time to expiration is the way the options
1: right yeah
2: so, so that was uh, my misterminology, terminology but um, when I think of short term options, I'm thinking of options that are less than two months. And when I think of longer term options, I'm thinking longer than, let's say, four months. Okay. Um, sort of that two to four is sort of a bit of a no man's land, let's call it.
1: Okay. So let's say that you are going along something long an index at four months at, well, I guess greater than four months out. Yep. Um, are you looking to exit When it gets to around that four month point, if it has or has not moved in your direction, does that does that come into play at all?
2: Um, Well, typically we're looking for the move. And if we get the move by being long an option, then um, then, uh, yeah, we'll want to sell and and move on to something else. We tend to, when we're sellers of options, um, sell them hope. Actually, we kind of hope or sell them with the intention of them expiring worthless. So. Mm -hmm. The time period we pick tends to be our investment horizon. So if we think a stock is going to fall sharply in three weeks, we might sell an at-the-money um, call option and uh, hope that it happens quickly in that three weeks. If we think a stock is going to meander lower, you know, maybe we might write, uh, sell a, a two-month option. Um, and as the stock meanders uh, you know, down, then um, that call will expire worthless. You know, one of the um, uh, aspects of options we also talk about in our book is that um, as the time to expiration of an option decreases, its rate of time decay increases. So um, if you write a two month option, um, if the and let's say the stock stays uh, unchanged, the value of the option might fall by a quarter or a third. And in the second month, it'll fall, um, you know, two thirds to three quarters. You know, the big drop comes in the second, you know, in the in the second part of your investment horizon, mm-hmm. if that makes sense to you.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The uh, I can't remember the term of it, but uh, the decay, right, it, it, it's decently flat for a while. Like you're talking about here between right. uh, roughly around four months out, I would assume is what you're 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 saying yeah. there. And then roughly at two months out, it starts to decay precipitously. It, it, really right. does.
2: Yeah, it looks like it looks like this. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes flat, flat, and as it gets short, it, it falls down. Theta is the Greek term that uh, yes. traders like to use.
1: Yeah. Okay. So now I have a follow-up question to that. So let's say you've decided that you're very bullish on a stock and you've written or you've bought the in the money call option and let's say it's six months out um what what are you basing that bullish assumption on what's giving you that bullish bias Is is something in the chart is it fundamental or or what's what's ringing your bell there
2: okay so when we look at individual stocks we look at um three factors uh one we look at evaluation and fundamentals so um if we're getting long stocks we like to buy stocks that um You know, have some growth into into them, but have a P.E. multiple that's less than the market. So um, that's number one. We want a stock that's cheap because, you know, now it's absolutely true that cheap stocks can get cheaper. (laughs) Uh, So the second thing we look at it was we try to look at an inflection. So the share price is falling. It's getting cheaper. It's getting cheaper. It's getting cheaper. Like American Airlines might be a good example of that right now um the share price is falling um it's down probably into a single digit pe i, I haven't looked uh, lately but it's a stock i've been following um hoping to get it, find a trade out of it but as it's falling uh, i'm not going to stand in its way if the market and other investors want to take the share price down i'm going to get out of the way and just watch it happen so then what i typically do is walk, look for a good bounce um, and then uh, look for uh, a, a chance to buy in that bounce. Um, so I'm not trying to fall a, a, a catch a falling knife or a falling piano. Uh,
0: <laughs>
2: the, um, we we uh, identify the stock that we want. and Then we want to get some price action that uh, makes some sense. So ideally, you know, a stock might be in a trend channel. It's falling. It's getting cheaper. company is very profitable. And it gets really down towards the lower end of that trend channel. If it gets on and touches that uh, the lower trend line. Then that's a place where we'll get a little bit excited um, and um, and step in and hope for a bounce. Once we see a bounce, then we'll then we'll suggest a trade. Um, and uh, that's where I like to step in. And there's a third factor that will come up from time to time, and that's market sentiment. So. If I see on the various um, uh, financial news channels, various financial websites, uh, uh, people saying how much they hate a stock or they hate (laughs) a company, um, then uh, that adds a little um, fuel to my fire because that means people are selling the stock. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: When that selling comes to an end, um, that's when the share prices are likely to rise. Um, you know, there's a, a fellow that's uh, been in the business a long time, very famous guy named Tom DeMarc. And in one of the presentations uh, that I uh, watched of his, because I like to learn from, from other people as, uh, as much as I can. There's a lot of smart people in this business. Um, he, he made the point that tops are formed when the buying stops. And and bottoms are formed when the selling stops. And he says, that's why so few people buy the top and sell the bottom is because there's so little price action at those two points that um, that's why uh, very few people do it. And that made a lot of sense because if everybody's bullish. They're piling into a stock. Uh, they think, you know, whatever's going on is super great news. Uh, let's say like Beyond Meat was there for a little mm-hmm. while. Uh, plus, it had a little bit of a short squeeze going on. Um, it runs up, gets north of 200 bucks, everybody's in. Anybody that did want to buy it um, uh, was in. Everybody else was sitting and watching from the sidelines. So the only real trades to be done is, is for those uh, sellers, uh, those those old buyers to become sellers. Uh, this sort of goes to a, a bit of a philosophy that I follow in that uh, economics is not really a very good uh, model for finance. Because if you think about um, economics as a discipline, think of yourself as a shoe salesman. Uh, what is your What do you want to do? You want to sell shoes. On Monday, you're going to sell shoes. On Tuesday, you're going to sell shoes. On Wednesday, you're going to sell shoes. And every day of your life that you go to work, you're going to sell shoes, right? But what if you're a, um, an investor? Well, you stand there for a moment and you've got a, a, a an account that's got cash in it. So then you go and you buy Foot Locker, the Foot Locker stock, right? Um, so, so when you're full of cash, what are you? What are you? You're a buyer.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Then once you've bought the stock, what are you potentially then next?
1: Your you're potential. potentially a seller. right?
2: So, so your role in the economy flip-flops back and forth. And that's why emotion pit plays an important part in the investment management process. It's, um, you know, people are in the game to, to buy low and sell high um, or sell high and, and buy low if you're a short seller. Um, but your role changes. And so um, um, that's why emotions come into to the game. When you're just a, uh, you know, a shoe salesman, you come and you sell shoes every day. Um, you're doing the same thing. And your only goal is to, you know, sell a shoe. But you now on one day, you're trying to buy it at the lowest possible price. And the next day, you're trying to sell it at the highest possible price. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think that's one of the things that make um, um, finance something uh, a little bit different than the traditional, that, that economics is not a good way to necessarily think about trading.
1: Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I forget where it was. I was reading this, but it was it was to that point where there's a lot of potential energy essentially built up in in a buyer, right? He's buying, he's buying, he's buying. But his his only potential energy at this point, once he's exhausted all of his buying power, is selling. Right. And then he has all the power to sell and sell and sell. So yeah, that's really interesting. I, I hadn't really ever made the the distinction between the finance and the economics, being that you've you've really got two sides of the trade here, whereas you're On economics, you're just a one-sided trade, right? It's not that Apple's in the business of 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 buying back iPhones; they're in the business of selling all the iPhones. That's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that that's exactly right. Um, And so that's why emotions and uh, market sentiment matters. When people are coming out saying, you know, such and such is dead. Like um, you go back, uh, I guess, about six months ago, and uh, everybody said Bitcoin was dead. Right. Bitcoin had fallen from about twenty twenty grand a coin to about I think it was was it three? About three Oh uh, it was pretty low, coins. yeah. Um and at the end it was like, okay, that was all fun. Everybody had their, their fun in Bitcoin. They had a good ride and this and that, but it's never gonna amount to anything. And as that crescendo kind of got louder and louder, that that was a signal that, you know, maybe maybe um the the price of bitcoin is going to find a bottom in here and indeed it did and it rallied up to uh, uh i think 13 or fourteen thousand dollars, and it's now slipped back again to a, to around 10 grand um and uh bitcoin's a very very uh, interesting um uh, concept because at this stage of the game the use cases are not quite there
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, that killer app you know you think about when the internet started um, the Internet was really a way for academics to com- uh, communicate with each other. And then Netscape came out with a browser to make, you know, creating websites and reading w- websites really early, easy. Well, that was the killer app, the browser, right? And then mm-hmm. we had this massive explosion on the use of um, uh, of the Internet in a million different ways. And uh, so I think the world's kind of sitting back, hoping, waiting um for a killer app in the um, in the crypto space. And I think uh, that's what will ignite sort of the next thing that happens there. But in the meantime, it's people speculating and the price going up and down. So I would I would describe it as a as a real emotional. Um, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a security or a <laughs> or, or what, but uh, an asset, uh, a virtual asset, Um you know, it's, uh, it is, you know, you can, you can, um, uh, look at that as a way to uh, somewhere along the line, improve international trade, because if you want to send money down to Latin America, you can do it nothing flat, uh, for a few pennies,
1: mm-hmm. whereas
2: you try to use the bank wire system. It takes a couple of days, uh, and it might take, uh, it takes a lot of dollars, um, yeah. uh, to do that. So, um, but anyway, any event, let's get back to, uh.
1: Uh-uh. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, this is all all in the scope of what we're talking about here, right? There's there's so much of the financial market set that people care about, right? Where can I go to buy low and sell high, kind of deal, right? right. So, so now you you're a professor at Rutgers. What what what's on your agenda for today? What what could we uh, what could we get a little. Snippet of lesson for our, our our free podcast audience out there that the the uh, Rutgers students are having to pay for.
2: Okay, so today <laughs> I'm doing uh, I do my investment banking slash financial modeling class. So this is a um, a class on how to build um, financial models using Excel. So there's a lot of um, uh, training and just simply the use of Excel, and then. Mm-hmm. We apply a lot of uh, concepts that I also teach in my uh, corporate finance class. So we take a look at how companies performed in the past, what kind of business strategy they're employing now, and how is that likely to affect revenues, margins, and therefore, valuation. And uh, so we we build financial models to do uh, financial projections going out. Typically, five years is what I do in the class. And um, um, and uh, so I teach uh, students how to do that. So if they go into investment banking, if they go into um, private equity, uh, things like this, they can they can build their financial models to get their arms around uh, valuation. Take a look at how maybe changes in business operations might um, uh, change the value of a firm. Um, and then it really helps with that evaluation of, of um, the quality of investment they might be looking at. Now, all my students, uh, the first half or three quarters of the class, um, we talk about all these things. Um, but it, towards the end of the class, every, every um, uh, student in the class breaks into a small group, three, four people, and they pick the stock of, or the company of their choosing. And then they, they go and they do evaluation. Um, and they also look at credit statistics, too. So I asked them to um, do a valuation of the company, uh, opine on uh, the, the credit quality of the company and the capital structure. Um, could they improve the value of the firm by changing the capital structure in some way? Um, will the company uh, do better if they had more debt or less debt? Uh, that kind of thing. And so there's a lot of really interesting companies out there on the on the high debt side that's that's in pretty good shape is AT&T, you know, Ma Bell. um, She's got uh, something in the neighborhood of 200 billion dollars in debt. And of course, um, they're being looked at by uh, some activist investors about how they ought to restructure. So these uh, I like to bring those real life examples of what's going on um, into the classroom and then you know, take a look at um, what m- the company might want to do, what management might want to do uh, from their perspective, what shareholders might like to see management do from their perspective, um, and in terms of ways of adding value. So, um, I drag a lot of uh, real-world um, excitement into the into the class to have them uh, do that and. Um, In my investment management class, which I'm not doing one of those this semester, but I I did a couple of those over the summer and and a couple of those last year, Um, I have uh, students look at a stock and tell me whether it's a buy, sell, or hold. And uh, part and parcel with all these uh, group projects is um, I recognize that folks that really do well and move up in a company tend to have good – Uh, public speaking skills and communication skills so the groups are all uh, asked to give presentations to their um, students uh, and uh, their fellow students and uh, I also require um, every group to ask questions of that presenting um, group so there has to be somebody from each group um, ask a question that's pointing at uh, uh, around um, what the company is all about, what their strategy is. Um, did you look at this company this way or that way? What else, other things uh, might you have considered as they do it? So you try to get a good dialogue uh, in the classroom. So I work really hard um, in creating uh, a dialogue in the classroom. So it's a two-way street um, and not just me uh, lecturing and hoping they're picking it up because – by the the quality of the questions and the insightfulness of the questions, I'm able to pick up um, whether or not the students are are, are following or not, and uh, and uh, so I really I really encourage the uh, the conversation.
1: Wow, it sounds sounds like fun, man. you were when you were telling me about that, it just reminded me of of back in, in business school and going through that all the the group projects and everything. Man, it just those were the good old days, right? <laughs> yeah, it well, was,
2: it's kind of funny. There's uh, when I was in school, there were some classes I liked. Uh, I felt okay speaking in other classes. I was um, I was uncomfortable. I mean, I I have an engineering undergraduate degree, and I worked uh, in that space for a number of years before I went back to business school. So I I would do a lot of talking in the operations management class in terms of how you're going to or, organize your factory um, or, you know, your process or your distribution process um, and uh, your supply chain, any of these kind of important issues. So I used to talk, um, you know, very heavily in class, but there were others that uh, that I felt uncomfortable talking in class, so I tend to be more of a passive Passive observer.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this has been fantastic, and and, and thank you for, for sharing some of that uh, that insight there from uh, for your students at Rutgers. I I really appreciate it. Um, what what closing remarks would you want to give our, our audience out there, Mark? About you know investing and trading, and and maybe about options.
2: Okay, so a couple of things is um, do your homework. Uh, be careful about what you do. Um, keep your position small because that way you don't get too, uh, emotional about a position. Um, the last thing you want to do is fall in love uh, with 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 a, with an investment. Um, and so stay on top of, uh, what's going on. Um, you should have conviction about your ideas. However, you don't want to just be flim flam. Okay. It's stocks up. So I'm going to jump in. Oh, it fell a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to run to the exit. Uh, you've got to know that, um, there's a certain amount of just chaos that goes <laughs> on, um, in markets and and sort of the, which way the wind blows. And we, we, we've seen that quite a bit, how investors have massively over responded you know, to the president's uh, tweets. Um, he might say something they don't like and they take the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 400 points. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and everybody's thinking the world's coming to an end and and. Uh, And that's sort of silly. And it's, uh, as we've argued on our website, that those are buying opportunities uh, because um, people are are really overreacting. And, you know, we've got an economy that's like $21 trillion in size. Trade with China is they sell us about uh, $550 billion worth of stuff every year. We sell them something like $125 or $150 billion worth of stuff every year. So yeah, it's important, but it's not the entire economy and and there's sort of this knee-jerk reaction to think that 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 it is enormous. So I think all that is going to work itself out uh, over time, but it certainly made everything very challenging. Oh yeah as you watch the the market sort of flip-flop uh, up and down and and uh, and things like that. So that's number one is, uh, you know, one of the easiest ways uh, for risk management is to keep your position small um, and diversify, but only take on as many p- uh, positions as you can keep your eye on effectively. So if you can handle 10, that's some diversification. Don't try to do 30 simply because you'll be more uh, diversified. Um, if that's what your style is going to be, you're better off buying an index fund, um, you know, maybe buy two or three. Um, uh, ETFs. I don't think it's a bad thing for, uh, in, in fact, it's a very good thing for most investors to put a little bit of money in um, a, a bond fund, uh, real estate investment trust, uh, the S&P 500, all through the ETF kind of formats. You know, with five positions, you can you can be diversified internationally between fixed income, real estate, and equities. Um, and you can get on with your life and do um, uh, what you what you want to do. You know, focus on your career, focus on your family. Um, but there are folks that then uh, want to, um, you know, uh, trade a little bit more actively. That's that's uh, um, somewhat of what we cater to in uh, on our website, theoptionsedge.com. The uh, folks are looking for investment ideas or trading ideas, as I should say. So we have some two to three suggestions every week of things they might want to look at, do some homework on, um, and that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, but by the same token, we, we, uh, we also discuss the importance of having a core portfolio of those basic ETFs. Um, and, um, and I, I enjoy the, uh, the crypto subject. So we talk about crypto, about, uh, once every three or four weeks, because we're kind of looking at that as a long-term hold, hmm. and over time we're going to build a port- We're building a portfolio of about ten different um, uh, crypto coins. Now, I think there's six, seven, eight thousand different cryptos out there right now. Uh, Ninety or ninety-five percent, I think, will will go away
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, before all this is over. But um, I think there's a, a nice core group of uh crypto that uh if you're going to um you know speculate in that area that uh um, you want to focus on things like bitcoin litecoin ethereum um and then there's you know seven eight maybe a dozen others that uh, show some promise and so we we talk about those a little bit and so we've been slowly building a portfolio um and um, and we'll be continuing to do that. But it, that's a that's a buy and hold situation. Whereas mm-hmm. our options as you um, do your trade. You let it go for a month or two um, and then look for the exits. And yeah, well, uh, you've hopefully
1: you've monetized your idea. Right. Well, perfect. Well, Mark, this was uh, I got to say this was exceptionally educational. And, and I hope that the podcast audience out there really takes account and maybe watches it a couple more times over. To, to get all the knowledge that uh, that you were you were putting out there. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy school day to uh, to help us with that. I was happy
2: to do it. And, uh, you know, feel free to uh, to bring me back at, uh, if, if you, you, there's something new and improved you'd like me to uh, <laughs>
1: discuss. Well, perfect. Yeah, I, I will definitely send you a, a few different topics and, uh, you know, we can get back on your calendar there. I, it, this has been fantastic. And I, I hope all the podcast audience out there gets a chance to go check out the com and maybe uh, you know sign up and check out their service because uh, I know Mark I, I've, I've worked with Mark in the past on this and and I mean they do an incredible job out there and really lay it outlay outlay everything in the most uh, academic yet easy to understand way as possible and so I really appreciate that and I hope you guys can as well. So, Mark, hey, thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. Really appreciate it.
2: You're welcome, and it's great talking to you again. It's been uh, it's been a little too long since
1: we. It's been too long. I appreciate you so much, and I appreciate you guys for tuning into today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Hey, before you go, make sure you like, subscribe, and enable notifications so you never miss any of the tools, tips, and tricks that we upload every single week to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. Hey, did you realize that you could get the secret weapon that every investor needs right now to start changing your financial future for free? Yeah, that's right. Just head on over to TripleStockProfits.com and download your free Triple Stock Profit System ebook today.
0: 10-Minute content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10 and Christopher Ewell, who its content, financial, programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investor's and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades